Welcome to What the Hex, your source for Warhammer Underworlds and under 30 of your opponent's objectives bricked beyond redemption. I'm your host, Davey, and with me as always, my other host, Phil. How are you doing, Phil? Hey, I'm uh, I'm doing all right. Pretty tired, right. but um, I'm hanging in there. We're going to power through. Yeah. Uh, we got uh, uh, our topic today is control play, and for that, we brought in somebody who uh, created a very cool article about that that uh, kind of got us excited about this uh we got matt from set the tempo how are you doing matt i'm good how are you guys we're good thanks for coming on we're uh, excited to have you We've been a uh, big fans of your blog um as is probably evidenced by the number of times that we end up mentioning community <laughs> shout outs <laughs> like we would have mentioned it more but it was like i feel like i'm beating a dead horse i gotta kind of spread it around so well, i really appreciate that that's uh that's awesome i'm glad uh, i'm glad you guys are liking it and uh yeah. Yeah, no, big thanks. Love the show. So really, uh, really happy to be on today. Yeah, great. Um, I uh, This is actually not the first time that we've covered uh, control play. Uh, I yeah. am going to get this wrong. I think it might have been episode 18, maybe. Uh, we had Mike Carlin <laughs> on uh, back in the... Yeah, it's, way... It's kind of... Yeah, it's almost 40, 40 episodes almost ago. Not quite that many, but wow. Anyway, um, <laughs> a, a few things have changed since then, but uh, a few. Uh, yeah, we're going to cover that. But before we do, we're going to go. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit to uh, Matt first, and we're going to do some of our usual things. So, Matt, uh, you've been running Set the Tempo uh, that blog. How long has that been going on for now? It's been going on uh, for about eight months, eight nine months now. Okay, and what uh, what made you say like, hey, you know, I I need to. I need to blog this. You know, what, what's your Underworlds background? What, what fires you up about Underworlds that made you say, like, I, I want to be a content creator for this and I want to get in on this? Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start from the, the point of my wife wanted me to talk at her less about Underworlds <laughs> and the, uh, the ins and outs of the strategy. Like, yeah. you, you know how, like, my, my wife likes the game. My wife plays the game. But she's not nearly as interested in it as I am. Sure. So, so it's that point where you've gone three hundred percent down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And she's like, "Well, I'm fine here at the entrance." Yeah. Um, she's, like, she's like, "Matt, can you find a friend or something?" So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that was one of the the major things. But um, underworlds wise, um, I started actually. Um, the the story kind of starts you know with my wife and and you know we're big board gamers. Um, I, I think on your last episode, you were talking about kind of other tabletop games and other entries. Yeah. Um, and she was getting into miniature painting. And so we would go to the GW store, you know, every time we're in the mall and, and mm-hmm. look at the beautiful models and go, we're not going to spend that much money on models. We're not going to play with. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I remember Shadespire coming out and going like, yeah, that's nice. She doesn't like corn. She's not into those models. I love sure. Stormcast. So, mm-hmm. um, and then Nightfall came out. And I was like, oh, there's ghosts, Nighthaunter pretty. And then they announced a Sylvaneth Warband, and I was able to convince her to, to let me get into the game. Sealed the deal. Yeah. All right, nice. Yeah. That's uh, crazy, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so from there, I, I you know, was really just playing with her and a friend kind of you know, casually. And we went to our first tournament, and then I was hooked just completely. Um, yeah. You know, started getting to know the community here, and and just went down that rabbit hole in the big way. Um, yeah, yeah, well, and oh, good. 
we're we're glad you did because uh, the the blog's been awesome. Um, I know you you've gotten a lot of. I've, I've seen other folks giving you feedback. I know you've gotten a lot of uh, kudos for you, you've uh, found some interesting ways to come at the come at the game. Uh, find Thanks. A, find a corner to a way to talk about it that is not already being done by other folks, and that's pretty awesome. And and I think like it'll it'll lead into what we're going to talk about today, but. I, I, a major reason I wanted to start the blog was to give us more vocabulary to talk about the game mm. about, you yeah. know, I, th- I think we were limited very into, you know, you, you had your play styles and that was kind of about all we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, if you go to the blog, like if I'm reviewing cards or looking at things, I'm, I'm looking at how passive they are. I'm looking at how viable they are mm-hmm. um, and, and just trying to kind of build more elements on top of just, this is a control card. This yeah. isn't an aggro card. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I really like it for that. It's, it was uh, cool. And then um, the subject matter has branched out. Uh, you've been talking about some of those styles of play. Uh, you you had uh, uh, Captain Murder on to uh, to talk about Flex even in there. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was uh, very, very much in his own voice there. So that was awesome. Very much so. Uh, and so Derek is actually a local player. So yeah. he was uh, he was one of the first people I met in the community. Um, so uh, he's probably the person I've played the most. Awesome. Well, you've got uh, strong competition there. Yeah. Um, well, that's your community. Let's uh, let's take a spin on the community shout outs here. Um, there's there's a. Uh, one I've been wanting to shout out for quite a bit. Although uh, Phil, you got you got anything you want to ping before I do? Oh, I wish. Uh, okay. I've been I've been busy with work lately, uh, so I I really in the last couple of weeks haven't really done anything in the hobby. Not reading, not playing, not um, like building models or anything. So, um, unfortunately, no. I've I've got nothing. So I will be. Just- checking in this list, putting, putting together all of the things that I need to go check out here. Uh, I've got some time. Uh, so let's see, I've got, uh, for me, it was, uh, the glory seekers. This is a blog that's, uh, being run by Jacko and Craig from tabletop Sydney. Uh, they have done a number of articles, but what's been very cool lately is the building on a budget series. I I talked to them about Mm -hmm. if they wanted me to highlight any particular one, they, they, um, they picked out the most recent at the time of this recording was uh, Dread Pageant. Uh, these are actually these are pretty incredible. Like they're they're really well made. The blog's really well put together. They've got a thing where you know they got a card name. You hover over that and it'll pop the card up. So cool things like that. But really went into it's a really good follow on actually from our, our previous episode. If you if you're somebody who uh, is is new to our podcast, you you've just come come on because you got introduced to it. These guys, this is where you want to go, and we'll we'll link to it in our show notes uh, because it says like, you know, if you're starting out, there's a there's a lot to pick up. They, they here they say they assume you've got a starting point of the warband that you selected and you know the uh, the essentials, um, and I think uh, you know the, the Dreadfane starter or whatever, or not Dreadfane, uh, Dire Chasm. Yeah. Um, and then they they look like all right, what where, how can we get to a good spot with two two more boxes? Um, I thought it was a super cool way of doing it. They, they go card by card, like, you know, here's, we're going to maybe drop this for this. I mean, it's super detailed. I, I was very impressed. Uh, really enjoyed reading through it. Um, haven't read them all, uh, but uh, they, they do a great job. So if uh, if you're somebody, because a lot of content out there is kind of geared towards the, the players who are fully in, have everything, I think this is a great uh, piece of content that is aimed at uh, 
folks who are not uh, not there yet, um, but want to get there. Um, what about you, Matt? You got anything that you want to shout out? Uh, yeah, I got uh, two pieces. Uh, the okay. first one, I've actually been uh, getting into the Age of Sigmar lore a bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so funnily enough, I've been listening to Phil a lot lately. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I've been listening to the Mortal Realms uh, uh, podcast, the story phase, um, and catching up on all the Broken Realms uh, lore. And th- those have been great. Uh, yeah. you know, high recommendation for me. It's been uh, a good jumping in point, kind of just starting with Broken Realms and kind of getting a, a kind of summary up up to Age of Sigmar three. Nice, solid. Uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll talk a little bit more of that uh, right at the end here. But uh, what else do you got? Uh, and then I really enjoyed the last episode of Critcast um, with uh, John and Rob and the Right to Respond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think counterplay is a, a large part of this game, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, making sure that that kind of design matches and balance matches that the effectiveness of counterplay. Um, you know, I'd say that's probably a core value for me in Underworlds, um, mm-hmm. and so that was a really great take on it. So uh, I, I really enjoyed that episode. Uh, that's very cool. I haven't actually heard that one yet, so I'll, I'll uh, throw that on the playlist and get to it. Um, I had a scattering of smaller things. These are just uh, community moments that uh, uh, popped out. Uh, one that actually, uh, uh, David, from your area, uh, listened to the last episode. He pointed out uh, one thing he noticed with the starter set was that the, uh, you flip the objectives, and there was the Shadespire style where the, on the backside they just kind of have rubble. Um, uh, so those are objectives that flip, and they don't flip to a lethal. Uh, although, I guess you could just count the rubble as lethal but that comes from you know the starter set uh not making any mention of lethal hexes that's something that uh players learn as they as they kind of expand out from that i guess so well there could be even seasons where you know uh, flipping is gone um i think flipping will be constant because of kishitaka and rothgorn sure but they could take away the rule that it flips into a lethal and might just flip into a block text that's Which really would be a point. very interesting, you know. <laughs> oh, into a wow. blocked. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Okay. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. imagine Star Bloods, yeah. but you can make your own Shard yeah. Falls with yeah. Tsushitaka. Whoa, uh, Shard Fall. What a cool. Yeah. I wish that card was <laughs> okay. still around. Me yeah. too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fun one. Um, let's see. What else? I, uh, I'm i going to give a shout out to, I guess, I'm going to call him the Chosen Axes Mafia. Because uh, Tristan, Tristan's been pinging me, like, saying, hey, like, what do you think of uh, Chosen Axes? What do you think of this list? I heard you might be, like, checking them out. I was like, yeah, you know, you know, I'm kind of working a lot of different lists, but I, I always like them, and I got them painted up, and it'd be good to bust them out. And then finally, this last uh, in-person league night, I, was, I, I, I sent him a message, like, hey, I'm, I'm finally going to do it. I'm, I'm going to bring them, bring them back out. Uh, and uh, I went and played and had fun. And I came back, and I had a message, and it was – uh, from someone else altogether, it was from Wath Lab who uh, did that uh, deployment guide. He was like, "Hey, I heard you might be trying chosen axes." I was like, "What? <laughs> like what? How, what? How do you know? <laughs> yeah, well, how do you know? like so? There's there's some kind of like chosen axes mafia or whatever. So I, I you know, it's uh, it's kind of a funny moment. And then uh, the last one I want to say is uh, there. I think it came up on uh, the Underworlds private group on on Facebook. Nick Baton had a, a post where with his Apparently he's, he's trying to run a, a Reavers deck that uh, does feed the Beast Grave, 
and he included hold objective one and scored it. <laughs> it was what? just like, uh, <laughs> I was like the, the, the number of like <laughs> memes and gifts that like poured in after, after he like posted that was super entertaining. Oh, so, man, uh, shout out to him for, for leaning into that. So, that's cool. <laughs> that. That's the mind games right there. I know. Dark I know. horse for sure. Yeah. I, the only thing better is if he had bricked his opponents, didn't even want it uh, or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was not even in the game, but, uh, yeah, so um, that that is uh, that's it. Uh, we'll go to what the heck is going on with you, and then get onto this main topic. Phil, we know you've been you've been on lockdown, basically. So yeah, basically. I'll spare you the discomfort um, of having to do that. Uh, for me, I've been working. I've been doing some Eyes of the Nine. I, I um, I'm working on some conversions. I'm pretty pretty happy with. I, I took uh, some Corvus Cabal bits to kind of lean into the bird theme. Oh, nice. um, once I got them painted up, so they're eyes, eyes of the cabal or eyes of the gatherer. I haven't decided what the you know the cute conversion name is, but we'll we'll get there. Um, and I've been playing some uh, some rippers at uh, for the WTC Nations Cup, and uh, the the boys have fed me some favorable matchups for Team England. So I'm, I'm right now I'm at two two and zero oh in my matchups. Uh, they've been they've been real good. Nice. Uh, real fun and both decks i like looked at i'm like i don't think i can beat this and just kind of then you just hit on those single dice uh wolf bites and then you do well <laughs> so that's how you get there as you yeah <laughs> yeah uh that's that's ripping for you uh but matt what uh what's what the heck's been going on with you yeah we've been uh we've been able to get back to playing in person uh, yeah. so that's that's been really nice um i think there were six or seven of us out uh, last week, nice. uh, which was really nice. Uh, it was kind of like the first major day we've had. And, and so it was really great to see such a great turnout. Uh, I know uh, Dave Beardarm was down from uh, from where he lives about three hours away. So wow. and, uh, we uh, we hung out afterwards and uh, it was it was too late. And he was like, well, I got to make the three hour drive home now oh, uh, because we just <laughs> couldn't stop talking about Underworlds. Uh, uh, yeah. I am. Uh, I think I heard about your your get together from him because I, I think I played him online shortly after he was uh, he was kicking me in the teeth with his worm spat. I was, uh, <laughs> I was mentioning that we were we we're kind of talking to you for an episode. He's like, "Oh, I just saw I just saw Matt." And I was like, oh, "All right, cool, awesome." So, yeah, yeah, we were uh, yeah. I was playing. Uh, we had a really interesting match that ended up exactly tied uh, with Worm Spat and Dredge Pageant. Um, All right, cool. So that's that's been a lot of fun. And then other than that, I've been painting a ton of Stormcast uh, because Dominion came out and it finally was a gateway into Age of Sigmar for me. There you go. Mm. What's your storm host? Uh, so it's the Lions of Sigmar, okay. uh, which is a purple and gold. Okay, nice. Yeah. All right. So that brighter pretty purple. much painted. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a darker, like, uh, you know, a, a deeper purple, like a royal purple. Yeah, uh, but not of, as yeah. dark as the uh, no. Um, oh man, uh, uh, celestial uh, warbringers. No, no I'm thinking of someone else. Yeah, so um, that's a vindicator. Astral templars. Yeah. Oh, yep. got it. it. <laughs> yeah. oh, I know. I know. We have you on the lore episodes for a reason. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been painting my stormcast the same way. You know, since I got my first stormcast model, so I've. I nice. kind of worked on that color scheme across like every Underworlds Warband, and yeah, you know, like when uh, when Storm of Celestis came out, I was like, I already got those painted. 
Like they're done. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's awesome. Cool. That's a fun, fun twist. Uh, I've, I have uh, Knights Excelsior is the way I go to all white. Um, nice. And I, I did that specifically because I hadn't painted that much white before. So, you know, it's a, it's a great thing with uh, Underworlds is you, you can be like, all right, you know, I just have these three Steelhearts dudes. Let me, let me see if I can do this. Actually, I guess I started with the, the uh, Far Striders, but same, same point. Yeah. So. But uh, let's get into it. Let's get into the uh, episode overview here. So we, we are our main topic is control play, uh, and the the broad strokes of how we're going to talk about this are we're going to attempt to define it, and that's that's actually trickier than you, you know than you might think, and we may not all agree on it, and that's going to be part of it. We're going to talk about some iconic uh, cards and warbands for control, and we'll talk about the kind of state of it in the current meta. So, uh, what? What, I've, what I'm starting it out with here is to define it. Uh, we're going to start, try and give it a one-sentence definition. Now, I'm going to throw mine out at you, uh, and then you guys can make an attempt, or you can just jump straight to tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, but for the control play style in and of itself, I'd say it's a, uh, for me, it's a, it's a play style that prioritizes uh, finding a way to deny your opponent's scoring uh, while at the time, same time... Uh, you know, keeping your own scoring reliable. Uh, and that's, that is, I guess, how I tend to think of it. Uh, anyone else want to take a stab at the one sentence definition here? Yeah, I would say that it's a play style that tries to limit as many variables as possible, both yours mm-hmm. and your opponents, which I, mm-hmm. I think is basically the same thing you're saying is it's like you're trying to both deny and guarantee, uh, so denying your opponent and guaranteeing yourself uh, and, mm-hmm. and trying to keep everything uh, from being too random. Okay. I like yeah, that. I like that too. Um, I, I think when I defined it in, in my article, I defined it very similar to, to the way, you know, uh, Davey has, which is, you know, attempting to disrupt your opponent's game plan and score glory from those plays, mm-hmm. um, making yeah. sure your opponent can't do what they are wanting to do um, yeah. and capitalizing on that. Yeah. Very nice. Yep. I think, uh, unsurprisingly, the guy who wrote a blog post on it has the most eloquent description. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you actually, um, pose an interesting question and uh, this is actually not a bad time for it. Uh, where is, is everyone, here's, here's the question is, is everyone actually playing control all the time? You know, because the, the state of play is you are trying to score more than your opponent, which is, I'm trying to disrupt my opponent. Um, what's your What's your take on that, Matt? So I think in a in a large way, um, there there's kind of two styles uh, when people kind of sit down at the table. Mm-hmm. Like you're either I have my game plan, mm-hmm. I'm going to execute that game plan, mm-hmm. and and nothing's really going to stop in my way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, aggro is very much like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of objective decks where they're very much like that. Mm-hmm. However, both of those decks are going to play control in their own way during that game. Mm-hmm. So if you've got, you know, an aggro, you know, if you've got, you know, Crimson Court aggro into uh, Starblood Soccers, let's say. Okay. The Starblood Soccers are going to want to sit on the objectives. And that's their game plan, and that's how they're going to score glory. And the Crimson Court is going to try to get into their territory, um, score glory, and make kills. But what they're doing is trying to make the best charges 
which will involve disrupting the opponent's objectives. Mm-hmm. And and I guess the real question, we, we, we'll get to cards in a bit, but like, how is making the important charge onto the right fighter different than playing distraction on that fighter? Mm-hmm. Other than the chance to miss. Sure. You know, you're, you're still taking it in your hands to make a play to control the state of the board. It doesn't matter if I hit as long as I knock uh, Huachi off this token. Mm-hmm. And that's a form of control in my mind, because what you're trying to do is control the board state mm-hmm. um, and, and vice versa. You know, if uh, uh, Kishitaka is on an objective and you play buried instinct, you've now set the odds against your opponent, prevented them from doing what they wanted to do, which is kill you or knock you off the objective. Mm-hmm. And you're going to score glory or inspire off of that. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, that's, that's a form of control. Sure. So, so we think, you know, everybody's, everybody's doing, or everybody's almost always doing some form of control, particularly if they're, if they're thinking about things a little harder. If you, anytime you're actively thinking about what is my opponent trying to do, how can I stop it? That is a form of control. That's what we're saying here. Uh, yeah. if we're, if we're saying it as a play style, it's where you're prioritizing those sort of thought loops, those thought cycles of like, like you said in your, in your blog, uh, I'm, I'm more actively attempting to do that and scoring because I'm trying to do that rather than I'm trying to do that, but also score with, you know, what I, what, you know, the other things I'm supposed to be doing. I, I can say, for example, with, uh, with the Ripa's deck I've been playing, it's, it's unsurprisingly pretty aggro, more aggro than I, I usually build anything. It's getting into enemy territory a whole bunch, uh, and hanging out there. Not, nothing unique for, for Ripa's. There's a lot of people who play it that way. Um, and I was playing against uh, a Skaven set to tempo deck, and I knew in my head, you know, because uh, this is actually a, um, a tournament that plays with open lists, so we both know each other's lists coming yeah. into it. So I, I'm looking at it and I say, okay, you know, this this player only has a couple of duels. Uh, if I can brick Bold Conquest or uh, Swift Capture or both, then I can really deny set to tempo. And what I discovered is I just didn't have enough control to do that yeah and so and so i was like i even though i wanted to it, I, I just didn't have the resources to do that and so i had to kind of uh i had to kind of let myself accept the fact that i wasn't going to disrupt it i was going to make him spend more resources in order to do that uh more resources than he would if i wasn't trying at all and then otherwise have him spend those and then just trying to beat him on the foot race to the to the finish line as far as score more of mine than, than his uh, other decks would have a lot more tools for that and could deny them outright, possibly, um, with a with a more control oriented deck than than what I was bringing. Uh, but in that sense, I was I was not a control deck, but I was still you know taking those control actions, I guess. Well, and like another good example of this, I think, is how the playstyle of the Thorns of the Briar Queen changed between mm. Nightfall and Beastgrave. Okay, um, I think a lot of players would have had the Chain Rasps up front in the yeah. night vault season. And yeah. that was kind of standard, you know, just chain rasps up front. You, you, you kind of use them as your chaff and you bring in, you know, the hammer and the anvil of, you know, uh, uh, Varclav and the queen. But what we saw in uh, the, the beast grave season, especially is that there, there came a shift where the chain rasp started to be deployed at the back. 
And, you know, you had, you had the Everhanged and Varclav and the Queen up front, as close as you could to the opponent, um, to try to deny the early kills. Like, that's a form of control just by the way you're deploying. Because mm-hmm. you're changing the targets of the fighters, making some of them potentially unreachable, which is controlling that board state. And, mm-hmm. and you're, you know, anytime you can get your opponent to make a suboptimal play, Mm-hmm. Or give them a choice between two bad options, like that's counterplay. That's control, and 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 I think we we don't talk about it enough in that sense. We talk about it as this overarching type, um, and that that has had some negative connotations in in the past, which you know I I don't necessarily think are warranted. Mm, true. Yeah. Uh, where where do you think those negative connotations are really like? You know, I, I feel like they they most took off with the um, with the uh, relic steel yeah. hearts, right? I think yeah. that that was kind of like the the first I don't know first really dramatic example of I'm going to keep you from scoring because at the time Shadespire was very aggro oriented, uh, and they were a warband that could do this thing where they they prevented aggro scoring and could score a lot while preventing that. So I think that um, control is on a spectrum. And I think that's basically what we were just saying is that like everyone can do some control regardless of how you build your deck. Uh, and and so like control by itself isn't bad. But when people play hard control, people get upset because it tends to be a negative play experience because hard control can be to the point where if you don't have the tools to stop it, you're guaranteed to lose. Um, and like this can happen in Magic the Gathering too. And blue is the perfect example of hard control if you're familiar with magic. Um, because the whole identity of blue is to just stop you from doing things. So, uh, when I was a magic player, I, I was primarily a blue player. <laughs> I mean, blue is often very strong and <laughs> very polarizing, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but so I think where people start to not like it is that it's like you don't get to play the game, I guess. If yeah, because it's like, oh, I guess I'll move towards your turtle cast guys, and you'll start racking up a bunch of glory, and it doesn't matter what I do because I can't get to you fast enough to stop you. Yeah, I, well, I think I think that is true if you define play the game as like I'm I'm gonna make. A bunch of charges and throw a right. bunch of attacks. If there's a, a, a it was a Jonathan from Path to Glory, he's defined frequently defined it as like you know solving the puzzle or whatever. Uh, and so I remember kind of enjoying uh, trying. I think we had Aaron run that uh, Relic Steel Hearts <laughs> once or twice, yeah. and I was like, I was like, I I've got, I think I've got a pretty good deck. Uh, I don't know if I can handle it. And it was it was enjoying the challenge of trying to trying to solve that puzzle. Uh, and it's not to say that if you if you found it unpleasant that you were wrong, uh, but it definitely takes a particular mindset to to uh, find the find the pleasure of playing into some of those hard control, or especially when they're passive. I guess because yeah. as, as we we pointed out, control does not by definition equal passive. Correct, and, and that's that's been a big you know uh, thesis statement for me around control is that. I, I think control is a negative connotation because it, it lumps in with passive control, mm-hmm. um, which first of all, you know, the, the forsaken and restricted lists have 
always gone out of their way to remove opportunities for passive, mm-hmm. uh, for passive play, whether that's scoring or, or the specific tool sets. Um, but those negative experiences that some people may have had where, well, I really couldn't play this game. I wasn't specifically prepped for that. Um, really have, have given, you know, a bad taste in people's mouths about, well, you're going to sit at the back of the board and, and, uh, and not move and I can't get to you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I will say, and this is, this is probably leaning ahead. Like, I'm so glad that the state of control, you know, is in a much more exciting place uh, yeah. with Dire Chasm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean that that uh, back of the board Steel Hearts is that's a that's a bad introductory experience. I would say you know <laughs> if you were expecting things to do because you know the yeah the, to play against it it requires knowledge of it and understanding and having built your deck for it. And if you were expecting people to uh, you know charge back and forth across neutral territory, um, it's it's a real head fake. But We'll get to that. We'll get to the state of where we think it's at. Uh, I, are you guys up for talking some some of the iconic control cards? And we'll, we'll talk about bring up some of these cards and explain why we think they're uh, iconic for that reason. Sure, let's do it, Matt. Why don't you uh, why don't you give us a, a couple to to start us out? Uh, think uh, why why like a, a card and why it um, epitomizes uh, uh, control play in particular. So I'm going to start with a uh, an old card. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not in rotation right now, but uh, Alone in the Darkness mm-hmm. was one that uh, uh, is, is a really big control card to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that every play style is positional it's in its own way. You know, mm-hmm. with aggro, you have to know where to charge. Uh, with objectives, obviously, you care about being on tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and something like Alone in the Darkness, as much as, you know, it kind of became too strong and ended up being restricted in, sure. in that season. And uh, help us out when, uh, when oh, we bring yeah. up a card. Give, give us, give a quick rundown of what, what it is. Um, you know, some, some players have not been with the game long enough to, uh, have looked up and they can always look them up, but. So alone in the darkness is, uh, uh, scoring an end phase for two glory. If, uh, no fighter is adjacent to any other fighter. Mm-hmm. So what, so the, the reason that I would put this in the control bucket is you are trying to ensure that all the fighters stay separate. So you're moving intentionally your fighters around to make sure that they're not ending adjacent to each other or enemy fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also making sure that you have the pushes in hand so mm-hmm. that, you know, if, a, if the enemy charges you uh, but doesn't isn't able to drive you back, you can still push away or push mm-hmm. the enemy away, yeah. um, which is really important. And so it was all about controlling the engagement and making sure mm-hmm. that you weren't having multiple people adjacent to each other and then trying to find a way to, to kind of uh, mess with your opponent's back line. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking about it now, I think it would be really hard against Kanan's Reapers. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a nightmare. Those guys, <laughs> yeah. guys just love to party together. Or the spine fin. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, soul raid players should be very familiar with that card because they have it yeah. just with a different name. Yeah, that's very true. I think their only caveat is they have to have a fighter on the board. Uh, but guess what? They've got spine fin, so they can always have a fighter on <laughs> <Yeah>. the board. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's a, that's a great first example. Uh, and it is, you know, talking about the puzzle, that, there was a card I love to play with and against is the, is that like noticing, Hey, I think my opponent's setting up alone in the darkness. Okay. Like, let me make it harder for them to score that. Let me, 
let me see how I can go about my, you know, whatever it is, Reaver game plan of doing a bunch of charging. Maybe I won't choose to drive you back um, because I think you're going to have to spend spend energy to to do something about this or you know, like that. That was a uh, that was always fun for me, and that's kind of that idea of of uh, cracking the control puzzle. Um, yeah, I, cool. I think in some ways, unafraid is the new uh, mm-hmm. alone in the darkness. Sure, because it's yeah. you know it's a bit more aggro, which goes with kind of Dire Chasm's themes and and the way that the the card set is built out. But it's the same thing. You're you're messing with the positioning, and you have to make sure that your positioning is 100 percent tight, or you will not be able to score it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a. Uh... It's one that you can coincidentally score, but most of the time you have to be really thinking about it. You have to, you know, and it needs a plan from early on, uh, and it needs a lot of contingencies. Like, okay, I'm gonna make this charge, but what if I accidentally kill this guy that I think I'm probably not gonna land this hit on? But yeah. you know, like, whoops, uh, you know, stab it somehow, hit with his two sword attack and his one hammer uh, wolf bite, and kill this guy. Okay, well, what's the plan now? So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a good one uh phil how about one for you yeah um i mean there's a lot i guess i'm gonna start with so so that's some positional stuff and i think positioning is often important for uh control play and i'm gonna go to duel of wits which Mm. lets you react to an opponent's ploy to draw two cards and i think because control often relies so heavily on your deck and being able to guarantee that you can do what you need to do when you need to do it or stop your opponent from doing what they need to do that having availability of all of your cards is really important um so i think draw tech ends up being a big part of playing control especially if you're going harder into control um and so duel of wits is a really prevalent example right now people are probably very aware of this already um but there have been a lot of really good draw cards that have been all over the place lately um Mm -hmm. and then of course we have to the end which kind of goes along with this to allow you to even more capitalize on drawing cards where you can actually score glory for drawing cards uh so it's interesting uh I'm, I'm going to give actually two examples here. So we've talked about some positioning control. Uh, and I think the iconic one here is distraction, which is, yeah. uh, did it arrive with the, with iron jaws, um, way back. So. so like the, um, so it, it's been in and then rotated out and then returned. Uh, it's had, uh, quote unquote clones like nightmare in the shadows. Uh, but, as opposed to sidestep, which is moving, you know, we, we, we did our very first episode, I always say this was, was on pushes. So distraction versus sidestep. Distraction is the one that's targeted towards disrupting your opponent um, more so than uh, helping. Now they have a lot of overlap. Uh, that's a positioning one. And so it's more universally applicable. Uh, there, there's different, different uh, avenues for control, I should say. So uh, something like, let's say, restless prize, right? Um, before it got restricted for a while there, people were, you know, describing it as a, uh, an auto include. Uh, and some of that has to do what, with whatever, uh, war bands are prevalent in the meta or whatever objectives happen to be all over, you know, all over the meta. Um, restless prize changes the objective state. So it's a control for, for the objective state. Uh, you, you can have a card like that, which is very much a control card when you're playing somebody who cares about objectives. Like if you are playing, into, um, 
you know, into, uh, the ghosts or, you know, um, yeah, the Briar Queen or, uh, any, anyone who, you know, any of these hold two ones, I, I you know, often, um, red pageant care a lot about where the objectives are. That's a great control card in them. If you're going into somebody like, uh, Garrick's Reavers, it, it's not really controlling much at all against them. It, it may help you, but they by and large don't care whatsoever about it. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. But by that point, so if, if you're bringing Restless Prize because you care about where objectives are, even to the smallest degree, even against a, a hard aggro matchup where they've knocked you off the objective, like that's, mm-hmm. that's the, what they've taken, being able to change an objective's position by two hexes is still control of the board. Sure. You're, you're using it to your advantage, uh, and whether that's not to take it under, out from under them, but to get back on one. Uh, and I think we think of that more in the objective play side, but that's still a major, you know, disruption to, okay, I got you off the token, mm-hmm. you know, even that counterplay of, you know, that Garrick's Reavers player playing distraction and saying, okay, uh, Otapodal is off the objective and you go, mm-hmm. well, I'll wrestle surprise it back under him. I guess, I guess to my, what I'm trying to say is that, uh, there's certain matches where it's more disruptive to the opponent than it is uh, helping to you. So you're correct. Like it, it's going to change the board state. You're controlling the state of the board by, by playing it. Uh, but for some, if we go back to that uh, idea of uh, disrupting your opponent's uh, scoring and scoring by doing that, um, there's, there's some where it's more of a control card than others, I think, is maybe what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like sure. if you're, uh, both of you are on, two objectives and your, your opponent snags the third and you restless prize it out to score dominant position. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a pretty strong, you know, sense of control there. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's uh, there's other, there's like this, uh, recently we've seen the the snares and nets. We saw a uh, barb laden net and beast grave and then extruded snare and soul tooth net uh, drop. Uh, we've seen some of those effects from other cards before. Those are move and charge tokens. Um, Matt, you've got uh, you've got at least one that uh, meets that category in there, uh, which I think is a great card. But I don't always see all that much. Um, yeah. What, uh, what do you, how do you? Yeah, talk about that, and then talk about uh, you know the, this applying move and charge tokens in the sense of control. Absolutely. So uh, you know, energy drain is the the card that I picked, um, which uh, picks a fighter that's on an objective, uh, gives them a move token, and then every fighter within two hexes also takes a hunger token. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's it's really uh, like I think energy drain is one of the most balanced effects we've ever seen mm-hmm. because most fighters have either moved or charged to get onto that objective token. Mm-hmm. And once they're on the token, they don't necessarily care about moving again. Mm-hmm. Um, I re- I remember playing a game where where I was playing as Ripa, and uh, first round uh, I was long boarded, which to me is a, a major, you know, setup of control. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to control this engagement by making sure you can't get to me. And uh, in the first power step, Ripple was distracted onto an objective and energy drained. Nice. <laughs> I, I've had almost that exact thing happen to me. Uh, and I remember, like, just being shook. I think we were in a, a Ripa's mirror match, even. Or, you know, he, he used the distraction. I was like, ah, I mean, I guess this makes this charge a little less like comfortable, but whatever, like I, you know, I, maybe I was like, yeah, I'll be in a less, I'll be next to a lethal instead of in a better spot, but who cares, you know, about that distraction. I'll, I'll go ahead and put on a savage visage or whatever I was putting on. And then he dropped the energy drain. And I was like, 
I'm going to need a minute. Like, <laughs> I, uh, you know, cause then not only, not only had he prevented that charge, but he'd gotten me to spend even more resources, uh, you know, wasted at least in the short term on that. So yeah. Uh, good pick. I, I think of that, you know, if we, we talk about, uh, positioning control and, uh, objective, uh, control these move and charge tokens, that's kind of fighter control. And so that's, that's yeah. the kind of control that's, stronger into uh, war bands that are really relying on one particular fighter or, or that uh, that are going to have a particular fighter. This this fighter is real important. Um, well, so, and if we yeah, go right. back to kind of, you know, the first, it may not be the first instance that came out, but it was the first one that was majorly played was in the Nightfall season, Frozen in Time, mm. um, which was a oh, card yeah. that, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, you're rolling a die and on a smash or a crit yeah you are uh uh the fighter can't be activated for the rest of the round yeah uh and that was you know that, that pretty much blocked you know most of your game at that point um and that was a that was a massive change to how uh how kind of your round was going to go and it saw a lot of play because that that was kind of right after molog was out and uh Curse Breaker became a giant turret, turret yep. in most yep. games, um, but it was it was that very harsh shutdown of an enemy fighter, uh, mm-hmm. and so you know, uh, so you know, to look at the power, like like I think we talk about power creep in Underworlds, and and we've gone from that to Energy Drain, which is an elaborate card that yeah. you know the fighter can still attack, and they have to have been on an objective. Yeah, that, uh, with the with the flip of not being 50 50 but yeah that there was uh that's a that's a good good take that's a good callback i hadn't thought about frozen in time in a little while poor old poor old mcgore with everyone rushing around him yeah <laughs> uh phil you've got one from this era that's worthy of mentioning while we're talking about oh, wild cards from season one well i've got two uh and they're, okay. they were <laughs> oh you do <laughs> <laughs> they were both probably two of the most abusive control cards that have ever been printed in the game um so i guess uh one that can really mess you up is quick thinker um so for those who didn't play in shade spire days and having to deal with these ridiculous cards quick thinker was a reaction that let you make a move action after an enemy's move um and uh so you (sighs) do that during a charge and I hated it every time it happened because <laughs> um, effectively it just meant that like your opponent got a free move and you you just positioned yourself into nothingness for no game yeah. whatsoever. Um, I, yeah, I remember playing against your Magors where you'd like, you'd make a charge and just look at me and sigh and wait to see yep. if I had it. Here it comes. <laughs> like, I'd be like, no, I don't have it okay. this time. Like, right. oh. I'm making a tech. <laughs> Yeah, um, so that's one of those that like, that's where you get that hard control stuff where people just start to hate on control because it's like, I can't even like do charges because of this card. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean, it's very strong. I don't know, like now thinking back to it, it's like, eh, control like shouldn't, shouldn't like no matter what, it shouldn't be like denigrated just because you're playing the game but like yeah it probably was too strong um like slick rock 
is, yeah. is the new version of the same thing and it's much more restricted uh, it feels yeah. a little bit better but it can still mess you up um, yeah i like that yeah the, well as an example quick thinker got forsaken and yeah. uh and slick rock just got restricted like <laughs> yeah i mean so so as we said the forsaken and restricted list often includes uh control stuff and especially passive control stuff i um i really wish slick rock would have been worded kind of as a uh after the attack action you know mm. and uh allowed the attack action and mm. then or or move uh, mm-hmm. And then you're knocked off the objective. Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think the negative player experience yeah. of canceling a charge um, <laughs> is is like it was really my issue with it. I, I think that's a feel bad moment. Sure. But hey, you made the attack, but now you're knocked off. Yeah. You know, you don't get to be. You know, you still won't score bold conquest off of it now. Yeah, um, yeah that probably stays. That probably stays uh, unrestricted if it if it's written like that. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So then it's like. It's basically just a distraction at that point, right? Yeah, it's a spring-loaded distraction. Yeah, right. One one capable of disrupting uh, uh, surge-level objectives, um, which distraction is not, yep. or yeah, not not in that yeah. moment. Um. So we talked about maybe uh, fighter control and objective control, position control. There's a set, and I wasn't exactly sure how to describe these, but I, I think these is like sort of time locks. Um, so this is like uh, invisible walls, which is no longer in the game. But that was uh, everyone's move was down to two, uh, something like that, uh, for the next activation or insensate, um, which is uh, there's there's several like these. Uh, several different warbands have this, but this is a uh, you know the first friendly fighter to take damage in the next activation takes one. I think most of the most of the corn warbands. I think both the corn warbands have this. I think the uh, all the dwarf warbands have this. Um, maybe even. Uh, the uh, sisters, uh, the uh, yep, coven. I think they do. So, um, those are those are ones that basically say, "Hey, like this next activation is going to be not very good." Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, there's there's the piercing stare or whatever that uh, yep. uh, Grimnir has. You can say, "Hey, this this guy's not going to attack or, or charge." So these these ones that say next activation is is going to be way suboptimal or uh, kind of not happen at all. Um, there's a handful of those, and I, I, those are those are interesting where they kind of fit in. Maybe they, they fit in kind of with the move charge token, the, the fighter control ones. But uh, um, those are those are very timing oriented, I guess I'd say. Where played at the right time, they're crushing. Played at the wrong time, they're just kind of a okay. I'll draw a power card. Yeah, and and I think that like even just having your opponent draw a power card, given how few actions there are in the game, that that can still be. <laughs> hugely beneficial sure um another one that sort of fits in here is no time um which is one that i I think we've talked about a number of times of like how we'd always love to use it but we just never can figure out where it goes (laughs) like (laughs) uh but like you say it's it these timing effects they're on this range of like slightly disruptive to absolutely game-breakingly powerful where it's like mm-hmm. hey i know you're gonna try and play power cards here no time mm-hmm. and it's like the end of round three and your opponent just hangs their head because they know that they just lost the game 
Um, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or or, or uh, things like blocking out reactions in the next one. Like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go in and I need to make sure that Ripa doesn't uh, narrow escape me. Like, this attack is that important. I need to make sure there's no reactions that happen during this. Right. Like, this this feels like a category of, of uh, almost like a, a power card control here. Yeah. Um, Matt, you've got, uh, you, I'm glad you well, tagged this. I forgot. Well, go ahead. Uh, yeah, on no time, like what I wanted yeah. to say was, um, you know, it was, it was a card it, that I, it was one of those, you know, the 11th Gambit kind of cards mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. for a long time. Sure. Um, and I, and I had it in my deck leading up to uh, the last Grand Clash I played in. And, and I was like, I don't know, this isn't necessarily doing much for me. Uh, and I almost took it out days before the, the event. Yeah. And then, and then I said, you know what, I've practiced with this. I can't make changes. I'm, I'm, I'm overanalyzing. Yeah. And I, and I remember one game I was playing into, it was either thorns or skeletons and mm-hmm. I had the last activation and, and I had distraction in no time in my hand. So mm-hmm. what I did was I distracted him before in, in the power step before that mm-hmm. made my charge, hoping to knock somebody off a second objective mm-hmm. and then no timed. Yeah. Because he wasn't going to push back on before my charge. Right. He wants to see what you're going to do first. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I found that that was a very interesting spot to, to be in where normally you'd be like, well, I want to distract in the last activation. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that I had to rethink the way my hand was built. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to go, well, I can deny two objectives right now if I distract and at least push somebody off a second token. Yeah. Uh, talk to me. There's, here's another one that uh, targets cards in a way that we've only relatively recently seen. I mean, they've, they've been around a little bit, but uh, Acidic Strike you put in. I'm glad, I'm glad you yeah. put in this list. I, I didn't think of it. So talk to me about that. So uh, Acidic Strike is a card uh, that allows you to, uh, on a successful attack, remove uh, a targeted upgrade from an opponent. Um, and whether or not that's an extra wound or a fairly heinous card, an accuracy boost, mm-hmm. um, really any attack that allows you to strip one of the power cards off of your uh, opponent's fighter, uh, which is super powerful because, you know, th- there are so many cards, like Show of Force is, is finally restricted, mm-hmm. but, you know, you finally got those three upgrades on that fighter and one of them goes away. Mm-hmm. Or... You know, in, in, in most of this season, you know, imagine losing deserved confidence. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, that, brutal. that can be a, a brutal tempo swing. Uh, and uh, especially because it's it's targeted. There's there's cards like Narrowing Passage, which uh, you pick up a fighter um, as long as it's a quarry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they get to randomly discard an, uh, an upgrade, which mm-hmm. I think you're mostly going to play if they have one upgrade. Um, sure. and, and strip that one off, but you know, there, there's so many times where, you know, I think I wish he didn't have cryptic companion, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, survival instincts, dominant defender, yeah. um, you know, formidable defense. There's so many, you know, other control cards that you can take away just by kind of hitting once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that that's something, the scattered tome, you know, it kind of absolutely yeah. bricks that, uh, that lost pages build when, when you yeah. just say, well, you know, I just denied you four glory, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Shooting you with a bad attack from Hadzu. Yeah, and I think this is almost almost the uh, by definition it's disruption because there's not there's not anything that it scores for you. Like I cannot think of an objective that uh, acidic strike. And we I think we mentioned this when we talked about it the first time. 
this is purely I'm just disrupting what my opponent is trying to do. Now maybe get me a better board state or a better set of odds for my next attack or whatever, which will then score me other things. But it in and of itself isn't advancing your own objectives uh, on its own, but it is very much disrupting what the opponent is doing. Yeah. Uh, Peeling that uh, peeling that quarry card off of the guy who's going to score absolute stillness or something, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that's uh, <laughs> maybe. So that's kind of the spread. Does anyone have any other cards they want to uh, talk about, or do we want to talk a little bit about? Uh, are there um, maybe talk about the meta and what war bands? What war bands we think um, are kind of iconic? I got um, I got one more I got to mention. Um, do it. And it's because it's been played against me way too many times. Okay. Um, and that card is Maddening Cackle. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is the Thorns of the Briar Queen faction-specific ploy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that card states uh, it's a reaction that you play after a an enemy fighter's failed attack action, and you uninspire that fighter, and that fighter can no longer be inspired for the rest of the game. Brutal. Um, the the worst part about it, and I think you know, I, I've played a lot of Rippas in in my career. Um, yeah. It also shares the same window as the Snarlfang. It so does. you uh, they they not only uninspire you and say you can't be inspired, they also say you can't bite with the wolf and and yeah. ugh, shivers. Yeah. I, well, and what I especially this is it's controlling in and of itself where it, it is uh, targeting a fighter. It's bringing that fighter to an uninspired status. But once you know that's out there, it has like a almost a blanket effect on, on yeah. the game where you're like, all right, like I could make this nothing attack. I, I have a I have an activation to burn. I've got Ripa sitting here. I've got a charge lined up that I'm, I know I'm going to be good for. Um, I could just take this little this two fury bow shot, maybe ping somebody off or <laughs> that. They're like, oh, actually, man, maddening cackles out there. Like, nope, I, I'm drawing a power card. I'm, uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not swinging unless I'm swinging with, you know, the, the boss Lapa with rerolls or whatever, cause it's, it's not worth it. And so it has that kind of disruptive effect, that control effect, uh, beyond just the actual playing of that card. So that's a really great inclusion in, in the list, I think. Well, and, and and you were mentioning Quick Thinker and the effect that had on the game. I, sure. would, I would say mm-hmm. Upper Hand for the limited time that it was in the game, uh, which mm-hmm. was a ploy that allowed you to swing and attack your way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, they kind of have a boogeyman effect on the game. Yeah. You're, you're always sitting there going like, do they have it? Do yeah. they have it? Yeah. Um, and, and that's a really interesting state to be in where you're, you know, a ferocious resistance, I would say, was that way sure. in, in Dire Chasm. Sure. You know, does he that's have a, it in his hand? Yeah. Can I make the kill before yeah. they get it out? Right. That's a good example. Um, Phil, you got anything else? Or should we, uh, should we talk about warbands in the meta here? Yeah, I think, I think we can move to warbands. The only other thing I've been thinking about is there's discard tech in the game and it is control but i just don't think it's there yet um i don't think there's enough that it's worth talking about much just because it's it's too random and there's not enough discard for it to really be disruptive but if we ever get there uh having to discard cards uh can be really really damaging to a game plan so um i think it's one of those keep your eyes on this space sort of things sure yeah one uh, one other thing we didn't mention, and, and I think I'd be remiss if we didn't, was just bonus defense dice, bonus wounds. Mm-hmm. You know, the, those kind of self buffing. Um, like that's that's generally the type of control that I like to play. Is is where I'm I'm making 
you now choose, you know, uh, choose the worst uh, uh, kind of fighter to go into. Well, mm. I've got this, you know, I've got, I, I yeah, probably the most control I've played in, in a long time has been Dread Pageant this season. And, uh, you know, you can come into this two dodge Glissette uh, who gets a re-roll on a defense dice or who has, you know, uh, prey bond and is getting full supports as well. Uh, or, uh, or come attack Slake Slash. Yeah. You know, yeah. which one do you want to hit? I don't want you to hit Glissette because she's holding an objective. Yeah. Uh, but I really don't care if you hit the the big uh, the big cow at the front. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a similar thing. I think, um, like, uh, I used to run Reavers with the uh, one was uh, legal the uh, Deathly Fortitude or Sudden uh, Growth, where it was uh, plus two wounds, minus two move. You go and you make your charge. Uh, and then you put that on, and it, would, it would be saying like, now this guy's not killable in one shot. So yeah. now, now, uh, now I've disrupted your ability to score glory back on a, on a one shot here. Um, and I'm going to make you use even more resources, be it cards or additional activations to try and remove this and, and get glory again. Um, so I, I, I think that maybe fits that same category. And I guess damage reduction fits in the same place, which I, Oof, I guess is why ever, damage reduction yeah. cards have always been, or l- lately have been getting restricted because <laughs> they're more punishing than bonus wounds, I guess, because it makes you have to spend that many more activations to get kills. Yeah, it can be. Uh, well, all right. Let's, uh, let's d- briefly talk about what makes a warband particularly suited to control play um, as, a, as a primary uh, Matt, if you were, you know, what, what characteristics do you feel like are common in warbands that are particularly strong for control? So uh, I think a big thing would be um, the defense dice. Mm-hmm. I think warbands that are going to look at control are really going to focus on how strong they get while inspired or even uninspired, you know, in something like Harrow's, right? Can I defend against most attacks? And I think mm-hmm. that that's you know, we mentioned Steelhearts, who inspire to, you know, one of the best, you know, kind of standard defense characteristic of the game in two block. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a lot of dice and a lot of sides that are successes. So I think, I think a big part of control is looking at, you know, how defensive am I? Can I make sure that I'm not just getting constantly run over? Uh, I would say another one would be uh, Warband Size. I think tends to be a the the smaller warband size uh the better you are potentially at control uh, if for no other reason then uh you're taking up less space on the board so you have more options as to for where you're going to be uh so you have a better chance of controlling where the engagements happen uh and also talking about disrupting your opponent's glory scoring uh if i only have three fighters and you have you know nine let's say if you're gets uh we're starting with a potential nine glory worth of kills on your side and three glory worth of kills on my side. Um, so they're uh, not universally so, but uh, there's a tendency for those smaller war bands to maybe be better suited for control. I think another, another thing to go along with some of the just like, not necessarily the fighters, but like how a war band plays if they have extra like weird tools in their toolbox, they can mm. suddenly become a good control 
So, so I mean, we mentioned having like less fighters or good defense. Well, eyes don't really have either of those things. I mean, I guess they're not huge, but they are definitely a control like play style of warband. And I think yeah. almost all of that is, is hinging on the fact that they have a really weird fighter that takes at <laughs> least two attacks or an attack and some extra tech to kill and teleporting which very few warbands have mm -hmm. um i guess teleporting something we didn't even really talk about because it only comes up in uh like there's i guess there's a couple cards that teleport but most of it's faction specific but being able to just show up on the other side of the board can <laughs> sure be very surprising uh you know on that same point like Miari's with the Aether Quartz counter. I think mm. nine times out of 10, if not higher, those Aether Quartzes are used to reroll a defense dice on something that's going to kill them. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're generally played as a control factor. Um, if not like occasionally to reroll a die to inspire themselves to get better defense, which once again, like plays into that whole control style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll make it even simpler as far as the, the card front, Phil. If you have an in-faction distraction, uh, yep. so if you have predatory growls or uh, you know scratching in the shadows or whatever whatever it is that uh, gives you one extra, you're already one step ahead as far as your ability to control. Um, so if you if you have multiple if you have multiples of these <laughs> hero uh things then uh then you end up being those iconic control things so yeah exactly like hero i mean i'm talking about of all the categories that we've talked about so heroes is only four fighters they've got good defense they have multiple in faction distractions steel hearts have very few fighters they can can get to very good defense and they have an in faction distraction you know it, you you uh that's why these ones kind of pop up in the control conversation perhaps more frequently than others. Mm -hmm. um, but we were, we're talking about some more bands from the past. What, what do we, what do we say? Let's talk about what we think of control in the current meta. And uh, Matt, since you, you've done some foreshadowing on this already tonight, I'm going to toss it to you. Yeah. So I, um, uh, we share, you know, I'll send you a deck list if you want and I can share it in the, in the show notes. Um, yeah, please do. But I've been playing uh, dread pageant, you know, mostly in a control style, um, you know, since the Path to Glory Team League earlier this season. Uh, and what's been really interesting about that is is it's gone in such a very different uh, direction. Uh, Dread Pageant is a very strange four-fighter warband. Um, uh, other than Glissette, they're not really defensive at all. Mm. Um, they don't really have a lot of wounds to talk about. Mm. Um, however, they have an amazingly control card pool. Uh, you've got uh, Shared Pain, which allows you to redirect an attack so to good, yeah. uh, a target you care much less about. Um, yeah. You've got uh, Distracting Ostentation, which uh, reduces attack dice. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, Sickening Resilience, uh, where you can uh, turn any uh, any attack into one damage. Yeah. Uh, you've got Lure of Slanesh, which can be is. a yeah. push uh, for the enemy or for yourself. And yeah. depending on how many wounded fighters you have on your side, it can be multiple hexes. Yeah. Um, so they have, they have such an amazingly good card pool to play control. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my favorite combo right now in this deck is uh, I, I've always been really intrigued by hunting season and especially with something like eternal chase. 
mm-hmm. um, is there too. So now we have kind of more of that effect available. Um, I, I've I enjoyed playing hunting season early in the season and playing it with uh, the hunter hunted, mm-hmm. where you made a yeah, uh, quarry yeah. kill a hunter. Yeah. Um, which can be as easy as slake slash killing a crypt ghoul on the first charge uh, and scoring <laughs> a uh, two glory surge off of it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I was playing the other night and uh, got Prey Bond on mm-hmm. Glissette, which mm-hmm. uh, states this fighter is a quarry, and if they're a quarry, uh, they uh, count as having extra supporting fighters on defense for each other surviving quarry, friendly mm-hmm. quarry. And so you play hunting season, and all of a sudden, Glissette defends on every side of the dice. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, that that combo. What was it? In in the past, it was like uh, survival instincts on inspired Ripa with uh, bonded and uh, what was the soul bond? Was that it? But yeah. That, that, that took more cards to get there, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's always a, a fun like. Well, these are both successes. Just are either of them critical successes? Let's find out. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, where uh, so you're talking about in you know a specific war band, dread pageant in the current meta. We'll, we'll pass that on. Uh, do you feel like it's it's prevalent? Do you feel like it's a standalone type? Or we've talked about every war band is doing some control. How do you think it slots in like in the in the broader uh, broader spectrum of the full meta? So I think the early part of Direchasm um, saw a lot of control, um, especially, you know, Crushes uh, could be played kind of in an aggro style. But what what I found was really becoming successful with them was uh, this Crushes style where you kind of sat, you, you held a couple of objectives, and you worked stronger on your counterpunch, and then scored cards like To the End or the Avatar Risen where you're mm-hmm. just trying to stack upgrades and, and survive. Uh, and then if somebody wants to run at you, they run at you and you have a lot of damage on your side of the board um, mm-hmm. and multiple healing cards as well. Um, so, I, so I think we had a, a large kind of, um, you know, uh, shift towards control at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now, I don't think there's any one warband that's doing it in, in a very pure style, like a hard control style. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there aren't a lot of great objectives for it. Uh, There are some that you can splash in for support, but in general, it's really hard to build a a full control deck where that's all you're doing. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's because of speed being out there or do you think it's more the the matter of the, the objectives not being in there? Like you, you just don't have enough to kind of score uh, on your own with, you know, like purely working on disruption. Yeah. And I think that that's it. I, I, I would say maybe the only true control that we've seen kind of in the later half of the season is, is maybe how prevalent feed the breeze grave got, mm-hmm. um, because that was really, you know, it was controlled specifically designed around one play style, but it was mm-hmm. also for that aggro style. It was kill me or I'm going to flip all the tokens and score a five, five glory objective. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was very little that opponents could do around it unless you're specifically teching into disrupting that one deck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think feed the beast grave is a good example of like a control style. That's more about like the, con- like having a game state where you know that you can score. Um, mm-hmm. it's just so hard to disrupt. So it's, 
it's like you're just gonna do it and your opponent likely didn't build for it because to do so would probably mean that they had to give up a whole bunch of valuable space in their deck um sure and and so like while disrupting your opponent's game plan is obviously important if you're trying to play control having a very reliable game plan for yourself is then also equally important because you're not going to score as much glory um and so i think something like feed the beast grave ends up being super important and that's why we see things like objective stacking tend to tends to be popular in control and we pretty much have lost all of our good object well <laughs> i wouldn't say all but but like tomes it's gone that's just rotation but i mean they started to crack down on tomes um lost pages are now still sort of around um avatar is sort of gone not not that you can't take it but people just aren't using it as much mm. um so yeah i think I think there's something to be said there. I feel like maybe Soul Raid could, maybe. They're kind of fragile, though. I think that's the maybe the part that stops them. But they have a lot of objectives that are about positioning, and then they've got a lot of weird stuff they can do with the fish um, and poisons to be disruptive. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that fish is, you can kind of guarantee where what's going to happen with it in a, in a way that you can't with other fighters. So I guess watch this space, <laughs> see see who the innovators are. Yeah. All right. I think that's a pretty good uh, frame on that. Does anybody have any last thoughts they want to share? Anything we think we've missed? I, no, Fearing I think none. I'm good. Okay. I like it. Uh, yeah, I think that was great. Um, well, let me let me have one last question here because we, we made uh, – the definition of control uh, fairly broad it was we talked about all different ways you can control the board and the game state and such. Uh, is, is there any thought what, if, if someone told us that, you know, we were being too broad, um, is that, is that a, a fair, uh, fair criticism or is it uh, just that we've, it's been poorly defined up until this point? I think, I think maybe it, it's like, if you're going to say that a deck is control, then you probably wouldn't want to include the full spectrum of control play. Um, mm. Because to define a deck as being control, you'd have to look at all the cards and say like, well, is the main objective of the things in the deck to disrupt or guarantee things that are happening mm. for you? Um, and I think in a lot of cases, that's not actually going to be the case. If you look at someone's deck, they're not really building to just be control. Like they're not just bringing all the distraction cards. <laughs> um, although maybe if you're heroes. Um, <laughs> and I think that it's like we were just saying, I, I don't I don't know that there's enough scoring that you can do with just that. Um, mm -hmm. But when when there usually is enough for you to score just off of control cards most of the time those play styles get shut down because they become too passive because if you can yeah. win with just cards you don't need the miniatures um <laughs> sure yeah and well this is a card game and i would argue that it's more a card game than a miniatures game i, I think people want to see the miniatures be an, an active part so yeah. um yeah. maybe we never okay. will have true pure control play in the game for any sustained period of time. 
Yeah, I, I you know it's going to depend on how how you feel about whether something matches that definition. I I think the advantage of defining it broadly is that it reminds everyone that you have control in your deck. You almost certainly have control in your deck in some way, mm-hmm. and if you're not if you're not thinking about it in that way, uh, you probably should be. Um, yeah, you know, think think about yeah. what what control you're bringing to the to the game, and um, think about it in those terms. I think, you know, one of the most prevalent objective cards from this season, um, like in the objective play style, has been dominant position. Mm-hmm. And and I would argue that dominant position is just as much a control card as it is an objective card. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're not just caring about you being on objectives, you're caring yeah. about how many your opponent controls. And yeah. that is, you know, really that concept of interactive control. Mm-hmm. I don't just care about what I'm doing. I have to care about what my opponent's doing. And yeah. then I have to make sure I have the tools to disrupt it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I love that. Uh, I love that so much that I think I'm going to call it there. That is, uh, <laughs> that is dire chasm control is down in a position. Um, that's a, that's a good button for the episode. So Matt, thanks a ton for coming on. If people want to check out your blog, we're going to have the link in the show notes. Um, I think what I usually do is uh, I type in set the tempo underworlds uh, blog in my uh, search and it, it comes up as a first hit, but awesome. is there any other place that uh, uh, you want people to find you or chat with you or, or uh, get in touch if they, if they want to. Yeah. Um, I'm active on the Facebook groups. Um, you can find me on the discords, Matt set the tempo um, comment on my blog, like share, um, you know, it's, it's been a blast writing it. Um, you know, everybody in the community has been super supportive and, and wonderful. So, you know, thank all of you to, for reading it and in, enjoying what I'm putting out. And if you ever have any ideas, topics, feedback, like, let me know. I, I take that stuff super seriously and I love to hear it. Yeah, you do. It's one of those things I've noticed you're kind of responsive with, uh, you know, when, when people are requesting something, you, you go, you put in the, the effort and bring it out on the, the next few um let's see for us if you want to get in touch with us uh we're on twitter at wthcast you can get us at what the heck's cast at gmail.com uh phil and i are both floating around the discords we have our own discord which you can hop on it's uh it's a good one it's a big narrative community on on our own discord uh where we talk there but uh pretty broad we try to be pretty open there it's uh pretty fun um we always say thanks to uh, the bigger Mortal Realms team. We're a part of that. We're a part of this uh, this network, and it's all kind of a, a team effort with all the different shows going. Um, coming up next for them, uh, do you know what their next uh, story is? Oh, they're coming to Dominion. They're coming Dominion novel. I'm actually on that episode. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, so. I was like, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think you re- are reading that book. I, I am. I'm actually listening to it. I, I picked it up on Ooh. audio, so that's good, yeah. Uh, for us, actually, uh, the next couple coming at you, uh, we'd like to do a little Soul Raid coverage. We're still working out uh, some of the uh, uh, guest spots lineup for that, see if we can get that going. And then we are going to have a crossover with the uh, the story phase. We're going to cover the uh, the Dire Chasm short story um, uh, compilation. Basically, kind of for anyone who's been wondering about some more of the background of, of uh, Dire Chasm, we're going to do that. Um, and... Uh, I throw that at you. It's sort of a, a uh, Mortal Realms Network crossover. Uh, Matt, you've actually got the recommended listening for us today. What do you got? Yeah, recommended listening is In Control by Nemesia. All right. I'm glad I might have said that Nemesia. So <laughs> I, I would have too. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I checked it out. It was a, it was a real fun track. Are they Belgian? Is that they're, they're European? Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't remember offhand. All right, fair enough. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for what the hex? I've been Davey. This is Phil. And this is Matt. Like a pro. didn't change anything oh yeah that's always how it goes so don't change a thing phil perfect the way you are yeah thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i mean i I generally agree with that okay well how about i'll i'll try and then you guys can tell me why it's wrong i'm definitely (laughs) still gonna try (laughs) and definitely i thought you were gonna say i'm definitely still gonna tell you wrong (laughs) well (laughs) I guess I can do that too.